Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Well, today on In Awe by Bruce, we welcome Brent Miller Jr., founder and executive director of Ingenuity Films. They're an award-winning studio that created movies and documentaries such as The Final Prophecies, Decoding the Future series, The Coming Convergence, and most recently, another powerful movie, Before the Wrath. Brent works to combat misconceptions and anti-biblical views that he's witnessed in his previous career. So we're really thankful to have him and this time with him from his busy schedule today. So Brent, great to have you and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Bruce. It's great to be here. Well, Brent, what, what is your view of being in awe of God? And when did that happen for you and fire up your passion? Oh, wow. What a big question. <laughs> um, definitely. I think it, it did begin when I uh, lived in, in Manhattan. Um, I worked for uh, MTV Networks um, and a couple other Fortune 100s there in my early 20s. And uh, I was two blocks away on the morning of the terrorist attacks on 9-11, close to the Battery Tunnel in southern Manhattan when the first plane uh, struck. Uh, I, I watched it with my own eyes, and seeing it on the news, that tragedy on the news is one thing, but witnessing it in, in person is definitely life-changing. And I was not a believer at the time, you know, young and with aspirations of, of success in, in New York, mm -hmm. as, as so many people would, and uh, re really couldn't care less about the Bible or the big questions in life of, of eternal life, etc. But that day really triggered sort of a wake-up call where we began hearing in the news and, and chatter about different religions, Islam, even mm -hmm. Bible prophecy. There was a lot of sensationalized kind of prophetic news stories running in, in various markets about how it's you know the beginning of the end of America and, and so forth. And so I found it absolutely fascinating that there was this all this knowledge, this additional world out there I'd never heard of before that I wasn't familiar with on a journey seeking biblical truth. Was there actual truth in this? And no matter what the truth was, whether mm -hmm. I wanted to hear it or not, it was okay as long as it was the truth. And so uh, I, I spent years uh, studying uh, eschatology, Bible prophecy, and statistics and history and so forth. And it, it genuinely led me to the, the only rational conclusion is that the Bible is the the genuine word of God and Jesus Christ is is genuinely the, the Messiah and the one and only path to eternal life. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it, coming to that real realization, I know people get to that realization in, in, in different ways in their life through some that's an emotional experience, through some a tragedy, through some it's through uh, apologetics, studying the biblical history and the facts and so forth. But yeah, for me, it was primarily through Bible prophecy that mm -hmm. proved that it was absolutely, absolutely the truth. And then, you know, once the blinders are removed from your eyes and, and you come to faith and you realize this, um, it, it's like it, it is genuinely an epiphany that changes you from the inside out. When you when you accept Jesus Christ and receive that spirit, you genuinely are born again. And I never understood the phrase until it happened to me that you 
you genuinely are changed into a new person and you see the world in a completely with a completely new set of eyes. And when you have that kind of change in your life, you can't help but to dedicate every waking moment to the Lord and and mm. work to bring others also to that realization to to receive the hope and the joy that that you feel every single day. That's great. Kind of similar stories. It was prophecy that really did it also for me. I'd I'd become a Christian, but it was the impact of the prophecy part that that made the huge difference. And when actually when I was in high school, how Lindsay came and spoke at the high school, and I remember I it was jam packed, but I I was standing outside, and I was thinking, what are all these people so excited about? And then I began to research it myself and. Uh, some other people bringing it to me. And that's what kind of brought me around to put the fire in me for Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, as you put out these fantastic movies, do you ever experience a letdown or a time of doubt after you do? And if so, how do you recover from that? What do you go back to and grab onto? I, I have to be honest and, and admit, you know, no matter who you are, we're always struggling with, with parts of our flesh, parts of, of doubt. And there are moments within the production cycle where, where often personally I stop and I ask, you know, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this, you know, are we making any mistakes here? Is this, okay. are, are we, are we producing it the way that the Lord is leading us to do it? Or are we allowing, you know, influence from, you know, the, the current political climate or some kind of financial situation or potential funding or, I mean, you're always kind of going back and forth a little bit. And when you get pretty deep in a production, for example, before The Wrath, what was a pretty, it was a higher budget production, and there was mm -hmm. a lot more involved than things we had done in the past, uh, filming on set, uh, actors, extras. And there's those moments that you stop and you have to wonder, is this, is anyone even going to want to watch this? <laughs> it's <laughs> right. it's really what we're supposed to, supposed to be producing. I think anybody can relate to that that struggle a little bit, but at the end of the day, you you have to find what you're doing through through prayer and through trust, and that's really what it is is trust. Um, mm. We can't possibly imagine God's vision of how everything is going to work out, but He leads us to do certain things, and we have to have trust that He obviously knows what He's doing. And and one thing we often kind of fall back on, uh, even with our uh, within the crew and and myself personally is that we have to rely on, on God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and not rest on our own understanding. And we say that all the time. Do not mm. rest on our understanding because we can't see the big picture. Keep moving forward. You know, Trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. And no matter what happens, even if, if we produce a film and it's, it's an absolute flop and, and it's a disaster, uh -huh. uh, that's okay because it, it's the Lord's will and it affected somebody somewhere out there. And if that was the Lord's will, then, then so be it. We're, we're humble servants. So we, we have to constantly keep that, that mindset through every day of production. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great perspective. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I want to go back to the Hal Lindsey thing and, and what you're doing and tie it together this way. You know, I've been teaching prophecy, you know, in the books that deal with prophecy and, you know how big of a section of scripture that is. And mm -hmm. therefore, that means it's very important. God wants us to understand that. And so what happened was, you know, a lot of things came out in the 70s and then in the 80s. And I know along the lines, then you had the people setting up, here's when Jesus is coming back. And and there was a lot of that going on, especially through the late 80s and the 90s. 
and the turn of uh, the century here. And, and that made people go, gosh, everybody's predicting this time. And he hadn't come back. And people mm -hmm. started turning away from, at least from what I saw, away from prophecy and, and thinking, okay, it's maybe more allegorical or whatever. I know I have my perspective on that and working to promote it, but what would be your perspective on that? Now, what's interesting is a, a couple of things. First, I remember years ago, I knew, I knew a, a gentleman who was in his 90s at a church here in California, and uh, I, I was talking to him one-on-one uh, -on -one about Bible prophecy, and he was saying, you know, God's perspective is so absolutely incredible, and our view and our understanding is so is so fallible that we're, we're always proven wrong over and over again. That's why we, we learn in, in wisdom in an age to simply trust in the Lord and to stop yeah. trying to guess what he's doing all the time. And because he was saying when he was, was a youngster before the rebirth of Israel, Mm -hmm. That it was taught in, in his church that exactly it was, you know, it was symbolic or, you know, that it wasn't literally a physical rebirth of Israel because all the signs pointed to that clearly being impossible. It had been mm -hmm. right you know, over over 1800 years that there is no Israel. That's, you know, so clearly it was something different other than a physical rebirth. And that was taught and it was wholly expected, completely re received and, and accepted by, I guess, most of Christianity back in the day. So after World War II, with the unanimous vote to reinstate the nation of Israel, it's, again, the, the literal interpretation of prophecy. So that, that kind of pattern we see continually between, once again, uh, you know, our own understanding versus what God promised would happen. Mm -hmm. cool. Yes, definitely. And I know for me the impact of what it says in Revelations that if you read this book, it's a, actually a blessing, the mm -hmm. only book that promises that, and it is. It, you all of a sudden realize how great and sovereign God is in spite of all the fears and concerns and things I'm worried about. He's, he is in control. He's got it in his hands, and, and everything he says continually comes true, and, and so I can trust him for for everything in my life. Yeah. Just to add, you know, over the last 10, 20 years, especially, it's just, you brought up an interesting point before about, I guess, um, in, insinuating disappointment when, when certain claims are made and, and they don't happen. Again, a lot of these claims, again, are based on, on what we think is going to happen. It's not mm -hmm. that the Bible or God was proven wrong, obviously, just our understanding and our interpretation of this kind of macro view of the current political and global situation. We try and fit certain events into uh, into scenarios that we can only see right in front of us. And, and again, mm -hmm. missing the big picture that God foresees. And even with COVID, uh, and of course, many other examples throughout history, we can see how quickly everything can change. Uh, which brings up an interesting point is that if man were to attempt to to predict uh, the, the future political or geopolitical state of the world or anything else that would occur, we, we'd be wrong 99.9% .9 of the time. And yet God's <laughs> work has been absolutely right all the time. And you bring up a, a good point is that a good portion of the scriptures are prophetic. And mm -hmm. from the theologians that I have discussions with, um, I think many agree that anywhere between a quarter and a third of the Bible contain prophecy. The tragedy is that with, with a lot of the, the sensationalized reporting and, and the, the assumptions of when things are, are going to happen and when they don't happen, you have this kind of disappointment 
because that's been happening so much as you as you stated through the 70s and and even beyond is that what's happened is that there's there's sort of a stigma that's been associated with prophecy kind of a, a sensationalized version of it where it it becomes a scenario of crying wolf where now even the church even the body of Christ themselves never mind non-believers they they really no longer want to hear about what prophetic thing you have to say anymore. So it's been being marginalized more and more out of the church in order to avoid the polarizing effects it can have within the body of Christ, et cetera. Mm. And so the church is removing prophecy, especially here in the United States. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you, you saw this in, in Before the Wrath, is that working with LifeWay Research, we found, I mean, just a, um, a sample of 450 sermons across the United States showed that only 2% of churches, of pastors, actually taught from a prophetic book of the Bible or touched on a prophetic verse in the Bible. Not that they, their sermon was based on anything prophetic, but that they simply touched on or taught from a prophetic passage. Yeah. But if a quarter to the third of the Bible is prophetic, and only 2% of sermons on any given day touch base that touch on anything prophetic. <laughs> well, that, that's pretty clear that churches are definitely marginalizing it. Right. So tell us more about how you see your part in this uh, with your films and how they could be bringing about turning that around a little bit. When I first began studying prophecy back in New York City, I came across all the stuff that the average person comes across, a lot of sensationalized headlines, the assumptions, the everything where the the non-spiritually based world looks at as being just sensationalized, ridiculous, because they can't relate to even the idea of prophecy. So when the church goes out and discusses prophecy with non-believers, it's almost as if you're putting the cart before the horse, because mm -hmm. they, they can't relate to even the most simplest things that you're stating, because to them, prophecy is the same as anything from Nostradamus or any other so-called predictions, if you will. But Bible mm. prophecy is not the same as a secular prediction. They're not predictions. They're very woven, specific, intricate sequences of events that would be statistically impossible to, to unfold from beginning to end. There's nothing like it in the world. Mm -mm. The way that I studied and looked at prophecy really wasn't based on any kind of resources that were available at the time. And I looked at it through what I now know is a very apologetics-based lens, very much like the way Paul the Apostle would reason with non-believers in the first century. I mean, I think that's why many call him the, the father of apologetics. Mm -hmm. And I think what churches have absolutely, they've lost apologetics in the church. I mean, it, it's absolutely gone and they've lost reason. They've lost being able to use critical thinking to connect to non-believers. And so this, this gap between those in the church and those that are non-believers, it's this, it's this uh, just widening gap that's getting bigger by the year because they can no longer relate and, and communicate these things. And so Ingenuity Films was really founded in order to speak primarily to non-believers. The films are incredible for the church. It edifies the church, especially now when more Christians than ever before actually don't know anything about prophecy or the rapture or the second coming or, or any of these types of topics because they're not taught in the church because mm -hmm. these things are being marginalized. So it, it has a huge impact within the church, but our goal is genuinely to speak to the non-believing world and create common ground to present a film and present information in a way they can understand. And 
as a result, some of the scripts, that the way we present information within our films, some Christians actually don't like. They, they we, we have a lot of huh. feedback, a lot of backlash, believe it or not, where they say, you know, why weren't you more direct with this? Why don't you do A, B, C, and D? And, you know, what we need to understand is that what the non-believing world needs to hear is often not what the Christian wants to hear. Because if you present what the Christian simply wants to hear, you're just preaching to the choir. And that's mm -hmm. fantastic. There, there are films where that is wonderful for the church. But that's not the goal of Ingenuity Films. Along those lines, Brent, I, was, uh, I, I trained salespeople. And a common mistake that they make is that they're busy telling what the company says. But the first thing you really have to do is analyze your audience and find out what it is they need, what it is they understand, where they're coming from, and then how you can put your message in a way that best reaches them. And that sounds to me like what you're doing, so that's great. Yeah, I mean, the, the, a wonderful example is you look at Paul the Apostle, uh, what, yeah. once again in the first century, and when he went into Athens, I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, yeah. but it's a beautiful example. Yeah. Uh, when he began speaking to the Athenians, he didn't mention the, the Messiah by name and, and anything Jewish and anything along the, those sorts because they can't relate to that. They would have just ran him out of town and wouldn't have understood a thing. So you have to establish a, a common ground of communication with your audience, as, as you're stating. And and Paul, I mean, he looks around and, and he sees the, the very pagan society and he sees the statue to the unnamed God. And he says, hey, let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about the unnamed God. Now, yeah. that's not something a Christian would want to hear, yes. <laughs> but yeah. that's something the Athenians needed to hear, and it, right. it perked their interest, and now he's established common ground in order for them to listen. So that kind of strategy has to be deployed when it comes to the church teaching prophecy, especially with non-believers. Um, you, you have to start with the most basic foundational questions and, and really address it the way Paul did to the Athenians is how we need to address things like the rapture and the return of Christ with the non-believing world. And, and, and very few people are doing that. If I could put you on the spot, I agree with you a hundred percent. And you mentioned the rapture, which is kind of the key point behind before the wrath. So I was, I was doodling around with some things beforehand. How do you see it being presented and how would you see it really better presented by Christians to non-Christians? Because you say rapture, that brings up all kinds of crazy things and actually can shut down the ears. So can I put you on the spot on that? Absolutely. I mean, you're right. That's, that's the core goal of the film is to reignite discussion about the rapture. And when we first began uh, working on this in pre-production, it's one of those topics where you just kind of put your hands on your face and you go, oh, how is this going to be done? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right, it's an unbelievably polarizing topic and one that the non-believing world just utterly laughs at because you hear about the rapture and immediately, I would say that the average non-believer is presented with ideas of Hollywood-esque fantasy of, of everything people have been kind of brainwashed to, to think and see about the rapture. I mean, it is probably one of the most unbelievable events in in the bible it's miraculous it, it's hard to imagine exactly what it would be like uh, movies have done it terrible justice when they try to <laughs> relate this event especially to the non-believing world and, and yet it's such a pivotal part of the end time scenario that's always coming up jesus is coming back for us 
And so if, if we're not able to actually explain something as phenomenal as the rapture to our friends or family or the loved ones that just don't know what to make of it or even outright laugh at it, then how are we supposed to convince them that Jesus is actually coming back at, at the end times, that he actually is the Messiah, that he rose from the dead, and anything else, if you can't get past it, this one divisive point? And so really the, the goal of reintroducing the topic of the rapture, not only within the church, but to the non-believing world, was to find a way to present the topic where anyone could actually understand why this has to happen, rather than just accepting it as a matter of fact, which, by the way, most Christians who believe in the rapture, they don't understand why it has to happen. They just understand, well, this is in the Bible and it happens. Hmm. That's wonderful. But that's not good enough of an answer for you know our children or our friends or loved ones or anyone out there that wants to know well what what is the rapture why does it have to happen explain it to me in a way that I can understand and the church has absolutely failed at doing that. Could you put in a little synopsis on how you might approach somebody? Let's say I'm to somebody you ran into and we're talking about these things and can you give me a yeah. kind of hint maybe on how you'd approach me? I just hand them a copy of the film. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ah, come on, Brad. No, no, no. Um, I mean, not that you have to make up a statement, but I'm saying, what what pieces right. or things might you touch on to right. get me to the point where I'd have, whereas somebody who has seen all these other things would maybe well, hear. You know. This is where I think a lot of people put the cart before the horse. And I'm actually speaking from, from a very personal approach here when it comes to, to my faith and, and how, I how I was brought to faith. Yeah. That if we're going to be completely honest about this topic, it would be almost impossible to, to just jump into a conversation with a non-believer <clears throat> and right off the bat convince them that something like the rapture is a legitimate, factual thing that will happen. Because when it comes to, and especially me, who has come from, uh, you know, as a non-believer, who, who can kind of understand and relate to, to the world that, that rejects yeah. through deception, et cetera, uh, I think we need to, to kind of admit that when we're talking to our non-believing friends that there are certain miraculous things in the Bible which would be very, very hard to believe. Many things in the Bible historically you could actually use critical thinking and rationalize and, and say, okay, that, that really does make sense. You presented it in a great way. But there are certain topics where it makes one scratch their head and just say, I'm sorry, that's too much over the line. And one of those topics for many people, I believe, is the rapture. Uh, it sounds like something out of a Hollywood movie, and yet I absolutely know it will happen. But the way to convince somebody that something like that is going to happen is we have to spend time legitimately reasoning with these individuals in, in our lives. One conversation is not going to do it. Coming to the conclusion that everything in the Bible is absolutely true, again, comes down to trust, trust in the Lord, and not just a blind faith. I tell people, like, I, I don't actually understand the concept of, of blind faith. We're told we're, we, have, we, we should yeah. be able to present the reason of why we believe. And since the Bible is based on legitimate history and facts and events, well, then there are legitimate reasons why you should believe uh, through, mm. you know, history, et cetera. It, it is provable, absolutely mm -hmm. provable. And so if you want to prove that the rapture is real, what you first have to do is establish a track record that you can trust the source of the information. Because we don't understand everything in the Bible, especially when it comes to, to miraculous things, rapture being one of them. 
So you would first essentially have to begin with their foundational worldviews on how one looks at the world and why they believe what they believe and why they reject the Bible in the first place. What is it that mm -hmm. they are rejecting and what worldview do they have that forces them to reject that biblical view? So you're really starting at square one, the ground up, and you're right. starting at the basic things like like, like history, <laughs> you know, world history, and, and you're teaching critical thinking. And so the, the bottom line is, is that's why I'm such an advocate for Bible prophecy, because prophecy is not what most people believe, which is just, it's just, you know, general statements, this will happen, and oh, look, it does. That's not Bible prophecy. So... If we could actually teach Bible prophecy, because it's a thing that God uses to prove that he is God in the Bible. That's why there are texts like it in the, in the history of the human civilization, and never will be. And so you prove that prophecy is a legitimate foundation that proves the Bible is from a divine source. Mm. And through constructing this, this biblically-based worldview on how we can know these things are legitimate and provable, then you get to something like the rapture, and you say, now this sounds super <laughs> sensational, but <laughs> look, look, if, if everything else in the Bible has been proven to be correct and proven to uh. be, then you learn to trust the source of the information, kind of like a child to a father. And you say, look, now I've come across this one thing that I don't understand, but I know that you've always been faithful. I know that everything you have prophesied has always been absolutely correct. I know this information is from a divine source, so I will trust that it is real. I will trust that it's going to happen, and that is where our faith in God comes from. That's why we can trust we have eternal life, and we can trust that Jesus loves us and that he is with us until the end. So like a child to a father, you may not understand everything, but mm -hmm. you know that the source is reliable and trustworthy. And, uh, and so once you kind of present this new worldview and this kind of rational line of thought, then it's far easier for someone at the end to look at the rapture and say, okay, it, it sounds phenomenal. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to happen, but I get why it's going to happen. So let me ask you something. I was, like I said, I was just kind of goofing around, writing things up beforehand. Would you ever present it like this? Because I, I just took part of what like the movie's about, and I said, you know, Jesus is like a good groom who wants to, in a Jewish wedding, take you back to a room that he made for you at his father's house. And we're like the bride who he loves and adores, and he wants to do this for us before the worst times ever happen on earth. And what he does is he takes us while we're still alive and translates us into a body that can live in this new world in heaven. And if we're dead, he calls us out of the grave and gives us that same new body. That's what the theologians call the rapture. I would. If someone was actually able to receive that and understand it, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, that's the truth. And like you stated, that's pretty much the film in a nutshell. I think what people don't understand is that really the, the entire purpose of us being here, you know, you know the, the big ultimate meaning to life is literally to have been created to be a companion for God. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and that's that's the bottom line. So the entire analogy of being the, the bride of Christ is the point to life. That's why we're supposed to love him and serve him and follow him. 
And uh, it, it's actually quite simple at the end of the day. And, and I think when one really comes to terms with Christ's love for us, which is very much the foundation of this film, that you, you really kind of open your eyes to how much uh, we are genuinely loved by God, is that you understand why the rapture has to happen, why Jesus is coming back. And it's not just something in the scriptures that happens. So I, I guess we'll, we'll just say that it, it happens and we don't understand why, but we do understand why. And all the scriptures from the Old Testament to, to the New about all the analogies of our relationship with God, being the bride of Christ, even in the Old Testament when, uh, when Israel would turn into paganism, uh, they were described as committing adultery against mm -hmm. God. Interesting, you know, terminology. And yes. so all the, the Bible, it, it paints this picture of our relationship with God. And so marriage in the world today, obviously it's something defined by God. If, if there is horrible wrath coming, coming upon the world at the end of days, and we are the bride of Christ, it makes sense why Jesus says he absolutely will come back for us, again, to take us to his father's house, because that is the wedding model that God defined even back in the first century in Israel, where the groom would come and get the bride and take her back to the room that he built onto his father's house. The, the analogies are just a perfect parallel. It is. It's so beautiful. Can you give us any um, stories or anecdotes or anything about the impact that you've heard back from your movies? Absolutely. It's. I'm, I'm always so surprised when we hear feedback from pastors and churches and, and even those from all over the world, even non-believers, especially non-believers that have been brought to Christ or who have at least had their interest in the Bible completely reignited from these films. We have heard time again, even with the coming convergence and, and this, uh, our most recent film, Before the Wrath, that they present things in a way that people have never seen or heard before in a Christian film. And we are hearing about entire churches uh, here in the United States that genuinely have reintroduced the topic of the rapture and even Bible prophecy back into their churches where they have previously marginalized it, where they stopped talking about it. Oh, great. And it's shocking because when that happens, it's usually a pastor showing the film to their church. And when that happens, it's amazing to me how many Christians within the church actually say, I have never heard any of this before. In 20 years of going to church, I have never, ever heard about this, this prophecy stuff in the way that it's been presented in this film. And number one, there there's a sadness to that because everybody yeah. should be aware of these things within the church. But then also there there's hope and celebration because the films genuinely are effective in reigniting this discussion, which is so crucial at this point, at the end of days here, especially with everything going on in the world. There's probably not many things, there's probably nothing more important to, to be focused on than, than the return of the Lord in this day and age. Very true. What do you say to churches now that might be somebody might be listening and, and it's not going on in their church? What can what can the people that are in the church be doing? How can how can they help? Honestly, I think it's first and foremost, you know, watch before the wrath when it comes to, to the return of Christ. Mm -hmm. Watch it. Uh, watch films like The Coming Convergence, which was simply about the convergence of, of Bible prophecy at the end of days. And really begin allocating time to looking at things like biblical apologetics, which I personally am a huge advocate for. I think it's so crucial within the church and mm -hmm. how to reason and prove why you believe what you believe. It's something that the church is lacking so badly in this day and age. 
And without that, we can't relate to non-believers. We can't right. use you know, we can't fight fire with fire and and establish that common ground as Paul did in Athens, and in the first century to to even open up a dialogue with them. So that that's step one is that we we have to to start looking at prophecy and apologetics and biblical history in ways where, where we're not just focused on how we, we want to present to non-believers, but what does the non-believer need to hear that will affect them. And take this information to your pastor. I've spoken to lots of pastors all over the country. Probably around 98% of churches don't even discuss it anymore. Yeah. I shockingly find that there's actually so many pastors that want to talk about it. They would discuss the rapture. They would discuss prophecy. The problem is that it's become such a divisive topic in the congregation that they avoid it. And it's because of all the, the sensationalism out there. Because if the church isn't teaching prophecy, it becomes the, this vacuum that needs to be filled. And so where do people go? Well, the Internet. And as we know, everything on the Internet is true. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Not at all. And that's why the the division amongst uh, prophetic views, especially when it comes to the timing of the rapture, et cetera, is becoming more and more divisive and more and and being more and more fragmented in various beliefs. And this this is all within one church system and within one congregation. You would have twenty different views about the end times and and the timing of the rapture because it's not being taught in the church. But there's right. still an element of people that want to know about it, want to learn about it. Mm -hmm. But there's so much misinformation on the web. And there's so much, so many sources that sensationalize prophecy. It's not being discussed through an academic lens. And it should be discussed through an academic lens, not a news headline lens. And there's very few news organizations out there that I believe are actually presenting the topic of Bible prophecy in, in a very good light. One of which is, is prophecynewswatch.com uh, does a very, very good job of presenting prophecy-based uh, breaking news articles. But there are very few sources out there that do. So bring this information to your pastor. And mm -hmm. you might be surprised that your pastor may want to reignite these discussions within their church. And these films are fantastic because they do it in a way that isn't divisive, that, that doesn't create division, that pretty much gets everybody on the same page for the things that are important to acknowledge in Bible prophecy. Yes. Uh, and if we all kind of do this from, you know, take one church at a time, we could genuinely change the tide of this trend where instead of prophecy continuing to be marginalized, it can genuinely be revived within the church and is something that is now trending as a topic throughout Christianity. Anything else that you'd like to say before we go? There's so much. Do you have a couple more hours? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I mean, just first and foremost, just near the beginning, we talked about how I'm in, in awe of God and, and what he has done and, and how I think many of us can relate to, to sometimes we have that conflict with with trying to figure things out based on our own understanding versus just having absolute complete trust in, in the Lord because he sees the full picture. I just want to leave you with a perfect example of this um, in our own production, is that Before the Wrath was initially supposed to be released over an entire year before it actually came out in March of this year. And we had one just thing happen after another, uh, including a tragedy. We had people pass away that were very close to those that were pivotal roles in our, our production, pre-production and post-production teams. Even the filming itself 
uh, had to be delayed on on a set in Southern California because someone had passed away. And even in in post-production, we had public relations uh, attacks from, from parties that did not want to see this film, see the light of day. We, I mean, anything you could possibly imagine that could happen, happened. And from someone who has worked in, in new media, film and broadcast for over 20 years, I genuinely had never seen anything like this in my entire life. One event, sure. Two, that's just, that's just bad luck. But with this production, one thing after another, Endlessly, yeah. it it was almost as if, Lord, are we are we actually not supposed to be producing this? Are you are you telling us something, or is this or is this the enemy? Is this an in your face spiritual attack trying to shut down this film? Right. And we we actually would wake up as a, a, the core post production crew every single morning, begin with devotion and prayer before we got to work, um, wow. and we just focused on that one day. It got to the point where we were literally doing production one day at a time, and we didn't even care if the film was going to be a hit. We weren't even thinking past next month. We were just saying, today we have to get the work. Let's get to work and just focus what we can do today. And it, it truly became a fight to finish the film. And so it was delayed for over an entire year. Uh, our retail partners obviously were not happy. This prospects of a theatrical release, which, by the way, were 100% in the bag, were essentially dwindling before our very eyes. And we couldn't understand why. And so the film finally uh, was finished and released on March 3rd, 2020. Mm. And it could never have been predicted, ever. Only God could have foreseen this um, mm -hmm. and, and used it as part of his plan. But it was about a week later that this is when the COVID-19 lockdown began. All theaters wow. were shut down. Everything was shut down nationwide. And we were actually, on that Tuesday that the film was released, just the week before, was yeah. one of the last larger films in the United States to actually be released into market before the shutdown. And wow. so Hollywood and all these other studios couldn't get in because retailers actually stopped accepting physical films and, and digital film submissions, and mm -hmm. nobody was working. All the offices were completely shut down. So Before the Wrath was one of the last new releases and so even during April, it was trending in popularity right next to the films Jumanji, Frozen 2, 1917. It was trending as one of the top films in the United States for what? months because nothing new was coming out. So it was sitting on the new release list and the trending list for, for months and months. <laughs> and I mean, something like that, you absolutely cannot predict. Um, yeah. And, and it, it's just, again, the, the ultimate example of when it seems like everything is working against you and you can't see how there could possibly be an outcome that, that could glorify God, that we, we trust the source based on everything that we know in our lives, based on trusting the source of the information, wow. uh, trusting his word. So I think that's an example we're genuinely going to carry with us for however much the Lord allows us to continue doing the work that we're doing. Yeah, it, it, it's a phenomenal, was a phenomenal thing to witness. Praise God. That is, you know, only a God incident, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> he knows. Gosh, we could go on forever, which, you know, maybe we can do another session sometime. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for joining us, Brent. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, God bless you and all that you're doing. And, uh, you know, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs>